Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Collins-Bradley. And so we're continuing our talk around stroke. You guys I know have heard, you know, we talk, we've been talking about Too Serious and the Stroke Research Project that we've been doing. Well, this is another part of our series. We have a special guest, Kimberly Rogers with us. Welcome, Kimberly. Hello, how are you? Oh, doing wonderful. Glad to have you here with us. So, Kimberly, before we get started, I just kind of want you to introduce yourself to everybody, tell them where you are, who you are, and then we'll just dive right on into all things stroke. Sound good? Sound good. All right. Okay. Well, I'm Kimberly Rogers. I reside in uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I uh, work for the city of Chicago currently, but previously I worked in private sector for a certified public accounting firm. And that was some years ago uh, in 2014, I suffered a mild stroke and at the age of 43. So based upon this conversation, uh, I am trying to help educate uh, minorities and primarily African-American women that strokes are affecting us at a younger age than normal. So I'm just trying to bridge that gap. And your story is, unfortunately, you know, we're hearing more and more and more and more. I used to think about stroke, and, I, and I, I'm just saying for me, I used to think it was something that old people, right? Like, exactly. You know, the old, my older aunts, and, you know, you, we're, we're starting to hear and see that younger people are getting strokes. Children are having strokes. Yes, yes. And I was in the midst of caring for my father who had had a stroke three years prior to myself having a stroke, not knowing that I was a candidate for it, didn't know it could be, um, I could have some of the hereditary traits or just some of my mannerisms uh, that I was repeating um, that I was overall misdiagnosed for me to have a stroke. So, so that's what I'm trying to uh, discuss with uh, so many individuals about, you know, my, my thinking that I was not a candidate because of my age, number one. Number two, I was getting, I thought, adequate health care. And so a lot of things were wrong. 
so you know i know your story but i want you to kind of share briefly you know your how that was because you were one misdiagnosed and really had to keep 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 at it to finally get a diagnosis um yeah so tell our listeners a little bit about that well prior to my having a stroke i um was working for uh, a CPA firm, a certified public accounting firm, and uh, where we're doing a lot of taxes and things for a lot of businesses. And along with being there, I was serving on boards uh, outside of the company. I had gone back to college, finished my degrees, and was uh, about to go to law school. Then my father had a stroke, and so and I was his primary caregiver. And in the midst of all of that. I start having different kind of ailments. Uh, I wasn't eating right because uh, I was working several hours. And in between those hours, I was going to take care of my dad. Um, I had, I just had a lot on my plate and I was um, going to my doctor routinely. Uh, I was starting to have more and more migraines. I, um, my anger was off the charts and she, put me in anger management for like the second or third time. Um, one day I was driving and I was so angry. I lost vision while driving. And so there are a lot of precursors that stated that I should have had certain tests done. And knowing that my dad had had a stroke, I never had like a, a carotid artery exam to see if I had any blockages. I never had a physical. I was just given a lot of things that were, um, like I needed to change my eating habits. I needed to relax. I needed to have clinical massages. I needed all these other things, but I never got any physical medical tests to see if I had any pre-existing things or things that were on the brink of. Yeah. And one day, one morning, I had a bad pain in my forehead and it didn't feel right. And I live three blocks from Northwestern Hospital in the city of Chicago. And I got in the cab and went three blocks to the hospital and they told me I was in the middle of having a stroke. So I was in ICU for three days. And, but uh, there was a wonderful doctor who became my doctor. His name is Dr. Shine Prabhakaran, who was part of the uh, program of Sirius and P. Corey. And he was like, you would be awesome because I had such a rapid recovery. And because my father had a stroke, I kind of knew that whatever thing that was, I didn't know for sure it was a stroke, but I knew I needed to get to the hospital. And I knew that uh, my life was at stake. I could tell that. Well, I'm happy that you were able to get the proper medical care that you needed. And I know that um, that's how you kind of became involved in the first series. Correct. And, because yeah. it had just started. It had, uh, it was just getting together and Dr. Prabarkin was like, because of my recovery, and it was so many things that I pointed out that none of the medical professionals ever thought about um, when you have a stroke, it's basically a brain injury for the most part. And the, they give you like, cause your speech could be slurred, different things could be affected. But when you go to therapy, they never talk about math. You know, they tell you to take two milligrams, but if you don't know what a one and a number two is, then, yeah. you know, it's just, just been a lot. It's been very eye-opening uh, of the things that I discovered and has been able to relay to the 
all the different doctors and saying we didn't realize that. And I'm hoping to keep opening eyes on what's being missed. So what are some of the things, you know, before we dive into too serious, I kind of want to touch on what are some of the things that you did in serious, the first serious? Uh, for the first part, I participated with a lot of the doctors and uh, company, you know, not-for-profit organizations like American Heart Association. Um, they all got together to try to figure out how, ways to bridge the gap in educating African-Americans, specifically in the Chicagoland area, who have high rates of strokes and heart attacks. And why is it it's so bad? And why aren't people coming to the doctors? And um, so just trying to figure out better dialogue and embracing communities, yeah. uh, people who want to help educate their communities about don't be afraid of going to the doctor. Don't be afraid of, you know, there are certain parts that are free testing. And, um, but you need someone that looks like you mm-hmm. to help engage it. So if the person doesn't look like you, you want to know what their intent is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with that, I start helping um, creating dialogue and messaging and figuring out ways to get more and more individuals to volunteer their time to talk to people in their communities. Yeah. And I think what you touched on is really important, you know, historically, and I won't go into all that because you guys have heard Tuskegee and experiments yes. in the black community. I mean, there's a large amount of mistrust. I remember in at coming up as a little girl and my family, uh, we would go to the country we call the rural area in Louisiana, deep, deep country in Louisiana for the summer we go. And I can remember conversations from my grandparents and my um great aunts and aunts talking about well, we don't trust those city doctors and you know my grandmother would make all these potions or whatever you want to call it like right. home remedies mm-hmm. because they were just it was ingrained in our community that you don't trust doctors and you know it was just because of everything that happened and when you pass that messaging down right from generation to generation to mm-hmm. generation what can we do to break that cycle? Well, just like you said it so eloquently, when people that look like you, you can relate to them. You trust them. Instead of an outside entity coming into the community, first thing people think, oh, what do they want? What are they going to do? Right. Whereas leveraging that sense of community, right, to make sure that you talk like me and you look like me and you walk yes. like me. You listen to the same music I listen to and I meet you where you are, whether you're at the church picnic or mm-hmm. you're at the, the, the gym or wherever you are. People that look like you that can relate, I think, is important. And the other piece, too, is the dialogue. Right. Because if you speak to people in terms they don't understand, what is the point? They're not going to get the message. So for you to come in and, and shape that, tell me a little bit about that. So one of the other key points that um, they were talking about, like just when we see someone who looks like they're having a situation, you're out and about and someone, uh, their speech is slurred, uh, they, um, they have faces automatically drooping. A lot of times people just think it's, you know, maybe they're having a heart attack. 
And if they state on 911 call that they're having a heart attack, they could go to a hospital that don't have the medication for strokes. Mm-hmm. When you go to a hospital that doesn't have that medication, they put you back in the ambulance and take you to a facility where they have the stroke medication. But I, we found out also that is the dialogue on a 911 call. If you don't have someone, even in 911, that don't sound like you or from your community, you know, because if you're from the south side of Chicago, your dialogue is a little different. If you're on the west side of Chicago, your dialogue is different. If you're someone who has a deep south background, your dialogue is different. Yeah. So, and you know, with a lot of the old verbiage, a lot of slang, because uh, words like, oh, he looked like he tripping, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just don't know. And you need someone to say, what do you mean look like he tripping? Is the face, someone can go, oh, tripping meaning like the face is drooping. Is it this? Is it that? To kind of pinpoint more so who you're talking to and who's relaying the message. Because so many of us are dying in the ambulance on the way mm-hmm. to the hospital as opposed to uh, getting, getting there and getting the proper care or getting there and realizing you got the wrong place to be and they put you back in there or they try to treat you the best way they can. It's time, you know, now that I'm... Three hours. Yes, three hours. That, that's, and that sounds like people are like, oh, three hours. But when you think if you about... you don't know the first signs of it... That time, that clock is ticking. That clock is ticking. Right. By the time you get somewhere... Two hours have passed, right? So you're right. in your last hour. So yeah, I think that's really important. So now we're into too serious, and too serious will be pretty much um, all virtual, leveraging social media. So Kimberly, you are now um, a part mm-hmm. of our community advisory board, which will kind of has been giving us guidance throughout this project. We'll put your um, stamp on what we're doing to make sure that we keep that authenticity in, in the work. So, you know, what, if anything, right, what inspired you to say, you know what, I want to be a part of two series after being a part of the first series? Well, with the first one, I went to a lot of universities and in the midst of when I had my stroke, I uh, opted not to go to law school, but I went into a master's program and I had my stroke in my first quarter of that master's program. And that changed my uh, focus area of my master's. So my master's is a master of arts in educating adults about strokes in, um, in further detail. But with what I saw in the first series, going to these universities and talking to master students and some undergrad students, but they were primarily adult students over the age of 25 of this program I've been participating with with the first one seeing individuals reactions in these young uh, individuals in their 20s going, oh, I need to look out for my dad. I need to look out for my mom. Heck, I've met a student, she was 24 and she had a massive stroke and she's permanently debilitated. Whoa. Yes. So she has the limp and all of that. And then, you know, I look at those things and I, I can't stop talking about this. I can't, because my dad, when he had his stroke, it was, we think it, he had been suffering from the stroke for about an hour before he got to the hospital. 
So it affected him for a period of time, but he was able to start back walking, back talking, but his speech was still impaired. And I want to keep pushing that we got to catch it beforehand, figure out ways to get these tests done. When they say you're getting a physical, make sure you get the full physical, have the carotid artery checked for blockages. That is number one. So I want you to just be part of number two. The second part in, I think this virtual part is going to be more beneficial because we can reach more people because they don't have to physically come outside and go to a, a facility where they bunched up with other people and might be apprehensive about asking questions because you can block your screen out and still ask a question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know what? I didn't even think about that. Yeah. You are so, so right. You know, you know, a lot of times social media gets a bad rap. You know, you think about yes. people always saying, oh, the cyberbullying and all these things. But I think the benefit of the anonymity of social media is just that. Like, mm -hmm. we're behind our screens. No one has to see our vulnerability. And we right. can still receive the information. And, and I'm a firm believer is knowledge is power. And I, I truly believe that, you know, the first series was really focused on the Chicago community engagement era, but area, but now that we're going virtual, you know, the sky's the limit. Like if we can Absolutely. reach people all over the world and yes, hon in all honesty, you know, mm -hmm. to educate them on the signs and symptoms and the path to act fast uh, right. against, against um, stroke. So one last question before, sure. you know, I, we could talk, forever and ever and ever you know I've I've been knowing Kimberly for quite some time and we met doing some other work and it's just so crazy how this world is so big but it's small absolutely so, <laughs> it, it really really is so my last question to you and this is all around community so why do you think it's important for our communities to get involved in the whole too serious or even just in stroke period interventions promotions initiatives what do you think about that i think um like in the chicagoland area um we have too many areas that are considered food deserts where we don't have uh like proper food we don't have uh proper things in our areas and if we can start bridging the gaps about talking to them about good eating habits and then also providing locations where they can get the proper foods instead of eating fast food all the time or eating things that are not good for them. Because that's one of the pre, because other than stroke, there's diabetes, there's heart attacks, and we got to start someplace. And I think if we start talking about strokes and strokes relates to better eating habits and less drinking, less other bad habits, I think that in our communities, we need more individuals who are advocates of making mm -hmm. change. That's right. And, and, and we've, we've got a, quite a few hospitals that have closed too, just before the pandemic happened in uh, minority communities. So they have to go far to get to these hospitals. So we need more doctors to kind of come back to our areas that we need to start educating more about what our communities are like. We need to have more doctors that uh, coming out of these universities that look like us 
Yeah. Uh, so it's just my hope that in these in our communities that we can start just opening up, talking about just let it all out and let's filter out a couple of things and let's yeah. go in some stages. Yeah, and and you know, and I know because you know I'm I'm in the Houston area, mm-hmm. but. I see where, you know, hospital community hospitals and just they're closing because of COVID, you know, COVID has kind of really hit us in different communities, especially black and brown communities in a really, really, really disparaging way. So I agree, like we have to continue the conversation. And as we engage these community members, the boots on the ground in the communities, you know, they bring in their voices forward. We'll push, right? We got to push, 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 you know, for that change and that, that education. So, you know, I echo that. And, well, and I'd this like is, to pinpoint yeah, one quick thing. Um, yeah. Right now in Chicago, um, there's a hospital. It's the top hospital in Illinois, uh, the University of Chicago. And I think it might be number three or four in the country. Uh, the nurses are on strike. They're on day six. Whoa. Yes. So, and that's, that's one of the largest hospitals here. And mm. so I am going tomorrow and uh, I'm on um, a union board. I'm a, a union rep for um, my local union and they're asking for individuals to come out and support them. Uh, so that's what I plan on doing. And while I'm there, I'm hoping to engage with a couple of nurses and other practitioners about what I'm doing with serious. That is awesome. You know, and we're hearing this with our stroke promoters, with our other CAB, we call them CAB members, community advisory board members, that it starts to become a part of your DNA. Cause I know I, since going through the journey with my mom, it's like, it, it's, it's a part of my DNA. It's, it's a part of my conversation. I will talk about, you know, symptoms and signs of stroke and prevention and importance of, you know, whereas before I, it wasn't even on my radar, Kim, in all mm-hmm. honesty. And so the fact that you're going to take those opportunities, and I think that's what was so beautiful about the project. So, you know, most of the time research projects, there's an end. I mean, there's a beginning, there's an end. You might get a white paper, you might get a little bit of data, and then it goes away, right? And you're like, oh, that was nice, but okay. What I think is really great about this is it's ongoing. So the time that the first series happened and it closed out, and now that we are starting to research two series, second version, those promoters, they've been promoting the whole time. You know, it's not like- I never stopped. Exactly. It's just going and going and going. And that, I think right there is what is so sustainable about the messaging and the project itself. So- you know, I can't wait to hear how that goes after you go and 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 share and and throw it throw that too serious in there with them. I think it's important, and it's like putting the head to the heart. I get it. You know, I don't know why they're striking, and and you know, no judgment there. Everybody, you know, we have been in a protest state since the Black Lives Matter movement's been kind of going on and that whole thing. So, you know, but any opportunity we can to share, you know. I say, go for it, go for it, go for it. So kudos to you for doing that. You know, wear your mask, please be safe. Oh, (laughs) I got some specialty masks. (laughs) Okay, okay. 
Well, Kimberly, this has been a wonderful conversation. Is there any last parting words that you have for our listeners? Any points, insights that you want to make before I let you go? I definitely say, you know, if, if you're currently working and you have the capability of having your annual physical and you haven't had it yet, ask your doctor about having the carotid artery test. Uh, it is it's quick, it's painless, but the thing is, you need to know if there is any blockages. And if so, it's all a matter of changing your eating habits. They don't have to put you on medication, just changing your eating habits and do a follow-up within three months to see how you're doing. These are, that is one key point that I wish I had known about. Uh, and then also um, making sure you have your blood pressure checked periodically. Um, my blood pressure uh, has lately been dangerously high. And so I had to get a machine to monitor my to keep it monitored and see where I'm at. But if you are on blood pressure medication or if they're saying they might put you on blood pressure medication, again, talk to a nutritionist, change your eating habits because you don't want to go on a medication for blood pressure because they'll you'll have to stay on it for the rest of your life. Mm. Well, that has been really good advice. You know, I, I tell people when you know better, you do better. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners. So guys, you know, thank you, Kimberly. You've been a wonderful guest. It's always thank a you. pleasure when we have our conversations. And so again, guys, you know, if you want further information, when the podcast drops, we'll have the website, the Two Serious website. It'll be the PPIC website. So you can go there, HEW Health Solutions website. Again, we cannot get away without thanking our wonderful partner and sponsor in this work, Dr. Natasha Washington of ATW Health Solutions. And as always, guys, be engaged. Make certain that you go to uh, two series. So to the number two, C-E-E-R-I-A-S.com um, to ensure that you're following us. We are also on all the um, social media platforms. So whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. If you type in two series with the number two in front, you will locate us. So make certain that you're following our work and then spread to Desiree's point. Make certain that you are sharing that information with your friends. We can never have one too many persons um, promoting good information that drives positive outcomes. Um, and then, of course, continue to follow HW Health Solutions. And that is located at www.atwhealth.com. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com.